When I'm not writing or reading about ghosts and hauntings, I like to take myself up into the hills and explore the wonderful Scottish countryside. Scotland's a small country, so you don't have to travel far to feel like you've left civilization behind. And from Edinburgh, a short bus journey will take you to the historic Pentland Hills. The Pentlands are a beautiful area with thousands of years of history. You could write several books about the events that have happened there. To give you an idea, at the top of Castle Law Hill there are the ruins of an ancient Roman fort. The second highest hill in the range, Carnethy Hill, was named after a monk who aided King Robert the Bruce at the Battle of Roslyn Glen by lighting a beacon at the top of the hill named after him. This alerted the Bruce that the English were advancing. There's a sunken village under Glencorse Reservoir and the story goes that on the stormiest nights you can still hear the peal of the church bells as they're tossed around by the choppy waters. There are ruined castles, Bronze Age brocks, but my favourite is the tea woods. The tea woods are a small copse of trees shaped either like a Maltese cross or a tea, depending on your view, that were supposedly planted by the Knights Templar. One tale that's always stuck with me is the story of the Covenanter's grave. In 1638, the National Covenant was signed by thousands of Scots, who would go on to be known as Covenanters. The Covenanters were opposed to the changes implemented by King James VI and Charles I to the doctrine and structure of the Church of Scotland. These changes led to years of violence and turmoil, both north and south of the border, lasting until the signing of the 1690 settlement. During this time, there were numerous uprisings and, in 1666, there was the short-lived Pentland Rising. The only notable battle of the Pentland Rising being the Battle of Rolly and Green. The battle was short, as the Covenanters were hopelessly outmatched and quickly overpowered. Although casualties were light, the defeat was enough to effectively end the short-lived uprising. Approximately 50 Covenanters were killed during the battle, 36 were later executed, and around 85 were taken prisoner. Situated roughly 11 miles from the picturesque wee village of West Linton is a hill called Black Law, and on top of Black Law is a gravestone. This grave marks the final resting place of an unnamed man from Ayrshire who fought on the side of the Covenanters at Raleigh and Green. This man was wounded during the battle and fled for his life, heading west away from Edinburgh. As darkness fell, and with his strength waning, he saw a light in the distance coming from a small shepherd's hut. The man knocked on the door and asked the shepherd, a man by the name of Adam Sanderson, for shelter and help, but Adam turned him away. Before leaving, knowing he wouldn't make it through the night, the Covenanter asked Sanderson to bury him within sight of the Ayrshire Hills. As dawn broke and Sanderson set about his business for the day, he found the frozen body of the Covenanter lying in the heather, and remembering his request, took pity on him and buried him at the top of Blacklaw, erecting a gravestone in his memory. That's where the story of this Covenanter ends, but now we pick up on the story of other Covenanters, captured after the Battle of Bothwell Brick, and it takes us to the site of today's haunting, Greyfriars possibly Edinburgh's most famous and violent haunted location. These days, Greyfriars is best known for Greyfriars Bobby, as well as the resting place of He Who Shall Not Be Named, and other characters from the world of Harry Potter. But it hasn't always had such a tourist-friendly history. 
It's often said that it's the site of the world's first concentration camp, the Covenanters' prison. After 1679's Battle of Bothwell Brig, the captured Covenanters were taken, sentenced and held prisoner in Greyfriars by Sir George Mackenzie, the Lord Advocate for the Scottish Government. The prisoners were easily corralled. Some of the surrounding walls are actually part of the Flodden Wall. The Flodden Wall was completed in 1560 and surrounds Edinburgh. The wall was built to keep Edinburgh safe from our neighbours to the south. So if it can keep armies out, it can keep prisoners in. Conditions in the prison were awful at the best of times, and inhumane at the worst. The area they were housed in was an open field and is now a long avenue of open-air vaults and cold, damp crypts. For four months, these men were held, fed only an ounce of bread a day, and forced to endure terrible hardships. In November 1679, of the 1,200 prisoners, only 257 remained. These men were taken to Leith and sentenced to transportation to America, but all were lost when their ship was sunk off the coast of the Orkney Isles. Due to his mistreatment of the prisoners, Mackenzie was given the nickname Bloody Mackenzie, or Bloody Mackenzie. And in a final ironic twist, after his death in 1691, he was buried in his crypt in Greyfriars, not 100 yards from the prison. His final resting place is now known as the Black Mausoleum. Fast forward 300 years, a local homeless man is looking for somewhere to sleep, so he enters Greyfriars. The evening is a stormy one, with heavy rain and a howling wind, so shelters at the front of his mind. The black mausoleum is visible from the entrance, so the man headed that way and managed to find a way in, a decision he'd soon live to regret. After entering, he noticed a narrow staircase leading down, away from the wind and rain, so down he went. On reaching the bottom, the floor gave way and he fell through, landing on bones, a pile of bones. Adrenaline kicked in, and pushing the bones away, he grabbed for the floor he'd fallen through and managed to pull himself out. As he fled, he is said to have run into a local dog walker and told him what happened. And thus begins the modern haunting of Greyfriars and the unleashing of the Mackenzie poltergeist. These days, ghosts are big business in Edinburgh. There's dozens of tours that promise to take you to the scariest and most haunted locations in the city. But in the late 90s, there were only a handful. One of them took, and still takes, people into Greyfriars and to the Covenanters' prison to tell her story. Prior to the break-in at the vault, things went as you'd expected on a ghost tour. The guide would expertly weave their tales and throw in the odd jump scare. But post-break-in, things soon took a far more sinister turn. Often terrifying turn. In one particular crypt, people reported feeling touched or experiencing hot or cold spots. Soon the reports of being touched turned into reports of being scratched, with people exhibiting physical signs of scratches on their face, back or arms. Red welts would appear before the guide's eyes in places that the victims couldn't have possibly reached themselves. Then people started passing out while in the crypt or leaving. Many people passed out. There have now been more than 350 reports of physical attacks in and around the area of the prison. Eventually, the council decided that something had to be done and the normally accessible prison was permanently locked and closed to the public with only one tour able to access it. 
1999, a spiritualist medium by the name of Colin Grant attempted an exorcism in the Kirkyard. It was late November, the nights were long and cold, but he was unwavering in his belief that he could put an end to the attacks. Putting his faith in his Bible and his crucifix, and armed only with a candle and his beliefs, he entered the Kirkyard. It's said that the ritual took hours, and when finished, he's quoted as saying that the exorcism would be the death of him. Susan Burrell, a local reporter for the Edinburgh Evening News, had accompanied him and had been busily snapping pictures. In one picture, it appears that a dark shape is present in a window behind Colin. Susan believed that this wasn't a shadow as it was witnessed moving at the time. Ultimately, Colin's efforts, although valiant, were unsuccessful and the attacks continued. Sadly, his comments about the exorcism being the death of him may have foreshadowed events to come as in January the following year, a heart attack sadly ended his life. Although the prison is now locked, people are creative. I know of one person, we'll call him James, who entered the graveyard late one evening and walked straight to the iron gate at the entrance to the prison. To the right of the large gate, inexplicably, lay a wooden ladder. Being an inquisitive sort and knowing the stories of the attacks, James did what anyone would do and placed the ladder against the wall then climbed up. At the top, he was able to walk the length of the wall to the right of the entrance. It's flat and about a foot thick. After walking, at most, 15 feet from the ladder, he turned round to look at the gate, as he couldn't shake the feeling that someone was there. And there was. A black figure stood, motionless and silent, looking at him. He could see no detail other than it was a large man, arms to his side, pressed close to the gate. After a few seconds, the man slightly turned and ran off to his left, and my friend ran back along the wall to see where he'd gone. But he was nowhere to be seen, and he couldn't hear the sounds of anyone running. Given the distance, he reckoned he made it back to the gate in less than three seconds, so where could the figure have gone? After watching and listening, and being satisfied the figure was no longer there, he decided he wanted to learn more and jumped down from the wall and wandered in and around some of the dark, empty crypts. This was in the days of the first generation of camera phones, so he was snapping pictures as he went. He took a picture inside one crypt in particular, the one he felt most uncomfortable around. When he looked at the image he'd captured, it looked like, in the pitch black, there were two green eyes staring back at him. However, this was the early days of camera phones, and he figured it's more than likely the camera couldn't cope with the dark, and it was some kind of glitch that just so happened to look exactly like two green eyes. James also told me that while there, the shadows from the clouds travelled at great speed across the roof of the kirk, despite it being a relatively calm night, something he couldn't quite get his head around. So what's causing the haunting, and did it really begin with the homeless man in 1998? The common belief is that it's Mackenzie's spirit attacking people. But to me that doesn't make sense. Nothing about his life leads me to believe he was an angry and violent individual. Although he is responsible for the death of thousands, including suspected witches, he was just following the laws of the land at the time, as abhorrent as they were. It's far more likely that the cause of the hauntings is the tormented and damaged spirit of one of the Covenanters who died there. They have reason to be angry, and most of the incidents happened in the prison, in the particular cell where James captured the green eyes.
There were also stories of strange goings-on prior to 1998. There is an account of a child who'd been up to mischief in a local school and had absconded and was hiding from teachers searching for him. George Heriot's school is literally the other side of the Flodden Wall. His hiding place was Mackenzie's crypt. The child was found sometime later in a state of hysteria and he apparently never recovered from it and never spoke of what he'd witnessed. So has there always been a malevolent presence there? Did the hauntings and attacks increase after 1998 due to the publicity bringing more people? More energy? Or did the publicity surrounding the original spate of attacks lead to the poltergeist being blamed for events that would normally have a natural, rational explanation? Is it Mackenzie's spirit or the spirit of a tormented covenanter? The figure that James saw was that the figure that was in the picture with Colin Grant. I'll leave this for you to decide.